Hey, hi, hello. Welcome back to Smoke Show. Welcome to Smoke Show. I don't know if you've been here before. I'm Claire. Um, and we're back. It's been a few weeks because I have been depressed and I tried to record an episode or two and I was like, ooh, it does not work when I don't want to do this because it's just me. There's nobody else around to fill in the blanks or, you know, do another thing. So hi. Hello. So glad to be back. There's been a couple things that I've been like, I got to talk about that. Um, so uh, I'm sure that there will be more episodes coming after this one. But this one is like somewhat timely. There needs to be like the biggest content trigger warning possible on this episode for like, we're going to talk about a cult. So, um, but also like a, a sexual predator who like was a disgusting human being in every sense of the word and like was just a prolific abuser and also specifically like abused minors. So I just, we're not going to, I'm not going to like talk about it that like, I'm not going to go into details or anything, but I do just like, if any of that's upsetting, if cults or like mind control groups or like, um, there's also going to be like eating disorder conversation because like that was such a big part of um, one of the documentaries that I wasn't expecting. Um, so I just want to like, definitely put it out there like take care of yourself don't listen to this episode if it gets too intense at any point just turn it off saw a thing the other day of like somebody was complaining on twitter uh, about a book they were reading and like they were complaining basically that books don't come with trigger warnings and somebody was like one you can like if there's something that does trigger you you can always look it up there's just so many places to find that kind of information now and this person had responded with like but i don't want to spoil things for myself and this person was like okay but books are like the most like the media that we consume that we have like the most consent over like nope don't want to don't want to look at that anymore is probably books you see a word you don't like you just stop reading <laughs> like you just you just stop reading and that's the end of it. You close the book. You're you're done. Um, your permission is t- uh, not granted anymore. And so you take it back. And that's it. That's all you have to do. So with this, I just want to encourage if at any point you're like, yeah, no, turn it off. Um, I certainly am not going to feel offended. So I don't know if, if, if you needed a minute long story worth of permission. But I just think, you know, there's no obligation to finish a book you don't want to finish or a movie. I think that like completionist behavior has been really, really encouraged, mostly by capitalism. Um, And I just, everything is capitalism now, you know? I know that that's like every, but like, it is like when you look at like news sites that used to report news, and now they are product reviews, like product reviews have always existed, but like we didn't used to have this many of them. And I really think it's just because they want us to buy stuff. So BuzzFeed is is now just like, a like it's always been a click farm, but like now they make commission off of like Target links. So every single week they're like 150 things you can't live without from Target. And it's like, I'm living without them now. I better be able to, I can't afford 150 of them. Um, and like, you know, all of those websites that became click that, like you can't trust a beauty product review except for like one fucking website now because everybody's just trying to sell you the mascara that they get commission on you purchasing through their link to Ulta or Sephora. Anyway, that's my mini capitalism rant at the top of the hour. There will be more capitalism rants because one thing about cults that I truly do not understand, I am so afraid of debt. <laughs> Like I have a, a tiny bit of credit card debt and I, every day I wake up and think about it. Like I don't know how cults are so good. I, I know that it's like a slow thing, but like, so anyway, we're going to talk about Nexium, which um, is a cult that was, um, it's spelled N-X-V-I-M, but, or N-X-I-V-M, 
Nexium, um, the V is pronounced like a U, I guess. They have a few like subcults within them. I'm going to try to be better about giving a lot of context up top before I give my opinion on it, just in case um, you are not somebody who consumed two documentary series and a bunch of podcasts about it. Um, slowly. I, I did consume one documentary series in one evening, um, but it's the short one and the better one. Spoiler alert. The other stuff has been kind of like a trickle in slowly. But yeah, I found out about Nexium the on like, you know, through news articles when it started coming out that there was a sex cult in upstate New York, which instantly flagged me because I took the most interesting history class I took. Um, was a very specific one called Jacksonian Era America. And it was just about America between 1920 and, ni- or not 19, wow, 1820 and 1840, which is a, a part of history that I think really doesn't get focused on a lot. And I say that um, knowing that I had to take a specific class for it. So that era of American history is really fucking wild. There was like a few years in there, like during Jackson's presidency, where we were basically having a riot every single day. There was something that counted as a riot. Most of them were slave rebellions, but there was also, like, massive riots about Shakespeare actors in New York. Like, theaters got shut down. People were killed over, like, one dude's portrayal of Hamlet versus another's. We ha- This was also, like, the era of, like, Barnum started, you know, like, it was just, like, a weird time in America where it was kind of, like, no holds barred because, like, shit was getting rough. So, anyway, whenever I see a bunch of civil disrest and then weird art happening... <laughs> And people getting really frustrated with the current uh, banking system. I just always think about 1835 and Van Buren. But one of the things that was happening during that time was there was a huge um, just wellspring of sex cults. And they were all coming out of upstate New York. Not all of them, but a lot of famous ones are from upstate New York. I I do want to say the Shakers are not technically a sex cult. They're like an abstinence cult. Um the Shakers are, st- they were started in upstate New York, and there are still Shakers, which is incredible because they can't reproduce because they don't have sex. So, like, it's just, I think there's like three of them still, and I think they're still in upstate New York, and they still practice. They still shake. Um, shakers, for people who don't know, are Quakers who have decided to be like fundamentalist Quakers and don't have sex and instead do these dances that they call shaking. They call them, they're the Shakers. Uh, But there was a ton of sex cults in upstate New York, like most of them very small, kind of lost to history. There are a few that you can actually go visit, like the towns that these men, they were all started by men, uh, built. And some of them, there was one that like the the, the grandchildren of this cult, they didn't, you know, they considered it like an alt lifestyle kind of thing, not like a cult. Um, But there was a book where they had like everybody's, everybody had to write down who they had had sex with. And so like in this one book, so there's like a record of all of this and they would like point to them and be like, that's my great grand. And it's like, I don't need to know that. Um, It was very interesting. Anyway, Mormonism also started in Rochester, which like you could say it started as a sex cult (laughs) because it did. And the FLDS still is. So pretty direct line there. America is like very, there's so many cults throughout history in America. And we just have some of the most famous, like we don't, I know that there are very large cults all over the world. And I'm sure I'm just less versed in a lot of the history. Children of God is like a huge one that is international, but like has a huge foothold in Korea. And there was speculation that the guy who um, assassinated the uh, Japanese prime minister or ex-prime minister was a member of that cult. And like, they've actually enacted like a lot of political violence all over the world. Cults are something that I think 
we ignore <laughs> in a way that is bad. And like I watch and I, and I consume a weird amount um, of cult information. Like I just always want to know how it started, who got in, what got these people in. Like I am somebody who is very um, adamant about not using the phrase uh, drank the Kool-Aid because not because I'm pedantic in the way of like, it actually wasn't Kool-Aid, it was Flavor-Aid, which is true. Um, but because people don't know what happened in Jonestown and to make light of it is really disturbing once you do know. Because I think with Jonestown, we don't say the number and we don't talk about the demographic of people who were there. And Jonestown, so like brief history of Jonestown. Jonestown was started by Jim Jones, um, who I think was one of the first people to use social justice uh, like acts and language as covers for um, his misdeeds in the future. And he was a very popular charismatic preacher who eventually moved out to California and started kind of the early workings of his cult. And what he did for the community was actually really impactful. And so the social programs that he set up were specifically meant to help older black women who lived alone or didn't have income. And he worked a lot with churches. And that is how he got his original followers as he was like a man of the community who was genuinely doing the community a lot of good. He invented like a lot of like Meals on Wheels type programs, a lot of just um, mutual aid through him. So like a lot of people started coming to his preachings in the church. Um, and then slowly he started to want to have it. Uh, this is truly like the thing about cults that we don't talk about is just like how many of them are truly just designed so that these men could take advantage of as many women as possible. And I do think that there's something to like the power structures and how they used men. And I think they like get off on having like men be subservient to them in a very different way. Scientology is very obvious with that one. Um, but it's just like, it's so bizarre to me how often the violence against women is almost erased from the narrative. And I don't think that's true with Nexium because it, it is described as a sex cult. But I do think when you look at like a lot of other major cults, it's something that's erased. So anyway, Jim Jones started wanting to have sex with a lot of men's wives. So he would make the men sign things that said it was okay that he was doing this, which served two purposes. It was like humiliating for them, but also like him getting consent in a way that like was le so he eventually started manipulating people into giving him more and more of their money or promising him things if he found out that they had had like indiscretions. So he started having people sign over deeds to their houses and other things like that. And it's just this slow manipulation and coercion. And then he would tell people who to marry and who to like he started really having a lot more involvement in people's day-to-day -day lives. He wanted to bring them under more and more surveillance. People moved into like what, a few buildings. Like, it, you know, you consolidate. Like cults move in exactly the same way almost every time, which is why it's like so weird to find anomalies. And I don't think Nexium is an anomaly. I think they're actually modeled after all these other ones, but Keith was like a specific level of psychotic. So like he just, mm -mm, we'll get there. But what Jim Jones eventually did, like how Jonestown happened, like skipping through like, cause cults also span way more years than narratives I think tend to give them credit for. Um, he eventually found land in Guyana and he bought a parcel of land and he moved everybody down there saying that like the US government was, not to be trusted and he couldn't practice his like new world or like it's very like new world order kind of thing 
And he moved a bunch of people down there. And like the original people who were there were just like building shit all day. Like there was no infrastructure. They were truly in the middle of the jungle. And when he moved everybody else down there, like the majority of residents of Jonestown were like young black families. And so that's one of the big reasons that I have a problem with the drinking the Kool-Aid thing is like, I didn't know that. And I didn't know that there were 900 victims. And there's like a really intense article that these links are going to be like really intense links um, about the son of Jim Jones, who did not die because his there were like a few members of Jonestown who were not present when the mass suicide happened. This is very upsetting. Um, I know way too much about this, by the way. This is not in my notes. Um, This is just from the dome. So if I get anything wrong, I'm sorry. Um, I will try to fact check myself on all of this before I publish it and put anything in the description. Um, but basically there was like a traveling basketball team of boys who weren't there and his sons were like, and so one of his sons was the one who ended up having to identify basically every single, and like nobody had ever talked to him about it until a reporter asked him. And then he basically like destroyed the room that they were interviewing in because he just had so much pent up rage and anger. And because he was the son of Jim Jones, nobody ever like cared about how he was doing because there's this certain like, you're you're related to a monster and so we don't see you as a person anymore and also like that's such an overwhelming tragedy to have to go through that I think like humans when we don't know how to relate just shut down and I think that that's like even more isolating for people and social stuff is like sometimes really clunky but I also think there's something very beautiful in being like man there's fucking nothing I can say but like just know I'm here so anyway um that's why I hate drinking the Kool-Aid but also like that's The charismatic leader type is, like, usually what cults happen around. There's a documentary on HBO about Heaven's Gate that, like, I thought was okay. It was deeply upsetting. Um, But I think what's really interesting is, like, I didn't find either of the leaders charismatic. They took a long time to consolidate people. But then, like, once they did is when the cult, like, really starts taking off. Like, I do think that having people under constant surveillance is really when things ratchet up. So to get into Nexium. Um, they, their headquarters were in Albany, New York, which meant that a bunch of fucking people had to pick up their lives and move upstate to Albany. And I have like a particular distaste for upstate New York, which is not entirely upstate New York's fault. But like, when you see the houses in the documentaries that these people were living in, it truly is like even more sinister feeling because they look like any house in America and it's the cult next door. Like it really does just have like this icky feeling of like oh we have no idea what's going on in people's lives um people are so good at hiding things that they're going through like i think that that is something that um so let me give you some context there were two documentaries seduced is by india oxenberg who was in the cult for seven years and was eventually um like in the sex cult part of the cult. There were many people in Nexium who did not know a sex cult existed and were definitely not a part of it. Um, and then there is The Vow, which is the HBO doc. So Seduced is only on stars. Annoying. Uh, then there was The Vow, which is on HBO. Season one came out last year or two years ago, maybe? I feel like I remember watching it in my Harlem apartment. So I think two years ago. Um, and it is made by... Uh, two people who escaped the cult. It also is earlier. It takes place earlier than Seduced does. They were released around the same time. Like it took a while for The Vow to get released, I think. But basically The Vow has a lot of 
Catherine Oxenberg, who's India's mom, like helping plan India's escape and talking to the media and all this stuff. But it focuses on Sarah, who um, was also indoctrinated into the sex cult. And that's when she left. But she and this other guy, Mark, had left the cult of their own accord. They were two really high-ranking members who um, come off very well in their documentary and not so well in India's. So I just think um, there's a lot to say later about just, like, watching the two narratives and, like, not who is more right, but just, like, how um, just a difference in narrator can really change the entire perspective of it. But Nexium, I want to explain Nexium first, just in case... Um, yeah. So Nexium is kind of the umbrella term for it. The guy who started Nexium and the guy who eventually went to prison for like 120 years for his crimes is Keith Raniere. Um, he sold himself as a genius. He was not that remarkable. Um, he was actually like not very intelligent, but he was a very manipulative person who could really sense somebody's um, insecurity, which is all you need to be a con man. Um, he had worked for Amway before starting the cult. So there's a lot of MLM tendencies that show up in Nexium that's similar to how Scientology has kind of MLM-y stuff. But I don't think in Scientology you get money per recruit and you did in Nexium. So like to, to basically like you would go, they sold Nexium. <laughs> there's so much to say. So there's Keith Raniere. He's the head of the cult. What they provided to people was um, the way that they kind of like got you in the door is um, these courses called ESP, which were executive success programs. So they really sold them as professional development. And it was like, unlock a new way of thinking, be in control of your life. Don't let things stop you. Figure out your roadblocks. Like very like generic, happy language of just like, become a better person. Spend an afternoon with us. So there were thousands and thousands of people who went to those courses who did not end up going to more or spending any money with these because like the courses were off-putting like I do think a lot of cult stories very often are like yeah it felt weird on day one but by day three it really didn't and I'm like ooh, you should have trusted your gut on day one um, and sometimes there's it's just very innocuous things like they separate friends and family from each other. And it's like it's so you can't turn to somebody and be like, this is fucking weird. Right. Because like strangers don't really do that with each other because we're all trying to impress each other and like do the thing that we're being told to do by the head of the class. And especially when you've paid to go somewhere. I think that's um, a bigger part of it. So once you took one class, they tried to like get you to pay three thousand dollars to take a week long course and three thousand dollars is so much money to spend on pd but they would do like flash sales and they would be like oh it's 2100 if you sign up by the end of the day and like you can you know i'm sure that they often tried to get people to pay for it through their jobs and other things so that you were just more likely to sign up they were they, like this is the you know bottom tier mlm stuff it's like come on in and the coaches who are teaching these classes are people who are also trying to move up the ranks and bring new coaches on because they make money off of the money. You know, like it's it's a pyramid scheme. So the people at the top are making a shit ton of money off of how many people in their downline can bring in more people to these classes. One of the things to note about coaches is that you had to reach a certain level of coach before you got paid for any of your work. There is so much free labor happening in cults and it always just you know I always just flag it early on of like I just wouldn't do that much work for a thing and then I remember I think like cults cults in the modern day 
you would think that more people would be better at avoiding them, but I actually think they're worse because I think we were sold this narrative that like smart people don't get into cults. And I actually think smart people are super fucking likely to get into cults. I think that anybody who um, wants to make the world a better place is actually the most susceptible to it because it really is this like, I want to be part of something bigger than myself. And cults are very like, we're a collective. We're, you know, come make friends here. And I think that friends are one of the way they, ways they trap you in because they make your entire ecosystem other people in the cult. And so then you're not talking to people outside of it and you're not getting grounding messages from people who are not repeating the same bullshit that like you're being fed in these classes. And the classes, you know, it starts with like a week long intensive. And then as you move up, these classes get more and more expensive and they start being in the tens and $15,000 range and they get more abusive. I would say if you're going to consume, if you're going to consume one of the things about Nexium, I would either probably recommend a podcast that goes over it. Um, I'll leave the ones that I like down below or India's documentary seduced she it's way more upsetting than the vow in some ways which i didn't the vow is so fucking upsetting um but hers is more upsetting because she goes into much more detail about not only the structure of how it worked and how she moved up through the ranks and how she was indoctrinated like it's very personal and it's one person's story so you're really able to follow it like emotionally as well and understand kind of how it happened that's one of the reasons her documentary is so much better. But also she was much more willing to like expose what was going on behind the scenes. Like I will say the vow is a very like meandery. Aren't we so brave for doing this kind of documentary? And India's documentary is like, here's the fucking brass tacks of what was going on. Here's how much shit cost. Here's how much time you spent. Here's how they got you to move to Albany. Like it walks you through much more um, in detail. And it also reveals a lot more fucked up stuff. So like, I will say it was a very, very upsetting watch. It's like six hours long, I think, because it's four episodes. But the last one I know is definitely an hour and a half. So they're they're very like mini movies. Um, but she talked about like the, the MLM structure a, a lot more. So just something to note. Also, like later it came out, like Allison Mack, who is like, kind of seen as number two in the cult, but was definitely not. Um, there's like, a, Keith had a bunch of women working for him who were obsessed with him. And that's like a very slow manipulation that he did to so many women who were around for like, some of these women were around for like 20 plus years. Like Nexium was founded in 1998. Um, we didn't find out about, about the sex cult stuff until like 2016. So just know that it was happening for a while. And some of these women were around like from the beginning. But yeah, what was I saying? Cults are not a dumb thing. Like, cults are not a thing that just happen to dumb people. And I think that a lot of, like, social media stuff, it really normalizes cult. I think grind culture has actually helped cults more than anything else because cults are able to get you when they um, provide you with a lot of stimulus and then sleep deprivation and then more stimulus. So, like, you're like, I think I'm the happiest I've ever felt, but I'm also slightly delirious. And that's when your mind is the most malleable. So... Things like the how, you know, a life in the day of somebody training at the Deloitte like summer. Ca and you just see these people who have been hired at Deloitte and they have a schedule that is packed from like 530 in the morning until midnight. And it's all like high octane activities and like, here's a ton of food and here's a ton of friends and here's a bunch of activities and here dancing. We're going to dance and we're going to get video of you dance. Like it's very like 
go, go, go. And like, I, I just, whenever I watch those, I would be like, oh my God, like, um, I'm so glad that they channel all of this energy into making the world a worse place via their consulting. Um, but like, holy shit, this is such a high control group, like <laughs> retreat. And they do these as like work retreats. And I think that um, there's a lot of retreats that really scare me. I think there's a lot of things that are very cult adjacent and high control groups are definitely one of them. Um, and you can fall into a high control group online. I think like the Teal Swan documentary is really not my favorite. There's a really good podcast about Teal Swan, but I wouldn't recommend the documentary to be honest. Um, but that is just a woman who started like making videos online and a bunch of people were like, I really like her. And now people pay so much money to go see her speak in person or fly down to Mexico to see her speak in person at her retreat in Mexico. And so like any, like even a lot of like yoga retreats or things that like, if you leave a weekend and you're like, wow, I cried so much. And then I felt more joy than I've ever felt before. And like, we all held hand, like high control group red flags. So just know that. Um, and it can happen to anybody. So yeah, Nexium founded by a scammer. Keith goes out and he finds this woman, Nancy Salzman. She really helped develop the curriculum. He had already had an MLM like culty thing that had failed and he had been sued into oblivion in a bunch of different states. And then he goes out and finds Nancy Salzman. And without her, there wouldn't have probably been the, the control element so cemented into their quote unquote curriculums. But she was trained in neuro-linguistic programming, which is NLP. Um, so she was really good at like getting people past blocks and things like that. There, the season two of The Vow really focuses on Nancy in a way that I think is really interesting because in a lot of ways, Nancy was Keith's first victim. He um, did a lot of the stuff that he ended up doing with other women with her where like he brought her in. She's the smart one of the two of them, but he made her feel really stupid. He constantly corrected her in front of other people. He berated her a lot. It, it comes out much later that um, he and her had had a brief relationship. And when they broke up, he basically said, like, you have to ask me before you have relationships with any other men. So many of these women were just treated so fucking horrifically by this guy. And like, I do think that like emotionally damaging Nancy the way he did um, kept her complacent in helping him commit crimes for years and years. I do think that the vow goes a little bit too far in not talking about just how much she was involved. Like, I think that the, the problem that I have with the vow is that a lot of the people really don't own up to exactly how much abuse they enacted on other. And I know that like, there's a lot of like, guilt and shame and you're not really able to talk like when you are doing it in a in a mind that is not your own when you have been broken down and then you know like molded in this image of that the abuser has molded them into it's not their fault but it also is their fault like they Nancy Salzman in particular was so early in the process and like if she had just I really like I think she makes the point of it of like she just had higher self-esteem this probably wouldn't have happened. She would have left earlier. So she helps build ESP. The way that a lot of the courses were taught were through videos of her teaching. They also, something to know about Nexium, they recorded everything because he thought he was so smart and he really genuinely thought that people were going to be so interested in what he had to say. And so there's footage of just so much of him like laying on the couch and talking bullshit and going on walks with people and recording the tapes of that. Like one of the reasons that he was able, they were able to prosecute him so hard is because there were a shit ton of tapes that India Oxenberg took from her apartment when she left that were Alice and Max. 
Um, she didn't take them maliciously, but she ended up taking them. She listened to them later, and it turned out it was like Keith basically confessing a bunch of stuff. And also the conversations that he's having are so terrifying because, like, you spend so long, like, learning about all of this horrific stuff that Allison did. And then you hear him talk to her, and it's like, oh, my God. <laughs> like, it's so heartbreaking to listen to, even though she also, abu- like, she was being abused, and then she turned around and abused other people. So... Nexium probably would have crumbled if two women hadn't joined it who are the heiresses to the Seagram's fortune. So every time I see that ginger ale now, I always think of them. But their father was one of the reasons probably that Nexium like came down. He paid for a lot of like damaging articles about them and things like that. Um, they were convinced by Keith to install spyware on their father's thing, but like they gave the cult millions and millions of dollars, including one of the ways they legitimized the cult is they had the Dalai Lama come and visit them and they paid him a million dollars to take a picture with Keith so that it would look like Keith had taught the Dalai Lama. Like there was a lot of like, they were able to get him into rooms with very powerful people. There was a really large subsect of Nexium in Mexico. And for a long time, like the president's son was a really high ranking member in Nexium. So like Keith liked to surround himself by power and wealth so that um, you thought he was really important. It's very, you know, it's very like textbook 101. And one of the major ways that Keith really recruited prominent family people is he appealed to their idea of being a powerful individual who was outside of their family, who was known for something besides being a member of that family. And all I could think is like, oh my God, Nepo babies would be so susceptible to cults. Um, There's been so much with Nepo babies recently. Like, I just think like, you've gotten these roles. Can't you just sit there and be like, yeah, I'm really lucky. Like, it doesn't take away from your talent to be like, yeah, I'm really lucky. Like, somebody said... It only got my foot in the door. And Fran Leibovitz had a perfect response, which is like, getting your foot in the door is the whole fucking point. That's the hardest part. Like, that's the thing we're complaining that you have. Um, so Nepo babies have never changed. But also somebody online tried to say that Drew Barrymore is not a Nepo baby. And it's like, Drew Barrymore is literally a dynastic Nepo baby. Like, yes, it's not. I don't know that she chose to go into acting or it was kind of just like written in her birth that that's what was going to happen. I don't think that she had a good childhood. She's been very upfront about you know, her drug addiction that started at the age of five when she was force fed drugs as a joke at like, it just, it's disgusting what happened to Drew, but she's got great vibes. (laughs) We all love Drew Barrymore and she's got good vibes. We don't care that she's a Nepo baby because you know what? She's also never made her career about not being a Barrymore. Like she's never, you know what I mean? And it's just like, like Madonna's daughter is on the cover of the cut being like, I never thought I'd make an album. And it's like, really? I did. You went to LaGuardia. You weren't trying to not be a star. Like, she dated Timothy Chalamet in high school. So that's fun. Anyway, I just think Nepo babies should. (laughs) Um, But the Nepo babies that helped Keith eventually paid, like, millions and millions of dollars. Like, they were also kept on, like, $100 million bail because their trust fund is that big. Like, eat the rich. One of the reasons that India Oxenberg was recruited is because her mother, Catherine, is um was on the show dynasty like the original dynasty and is also like a princess like they show her grandmother in seduced and her grandmother used to be the princess of yugoslavia when yugoslavia was um still a country like wild shit is happening so like yeah it's it's very interesting they are a stunning family um and that was why india was like so coveted and targeted so 
what happened to India, we'll use her thing to kind of explain like the the subsystems within Nexium that led people into this very specific little sex cult that was happening. Um, so there was Nexium, and then there was a women's group called Janess, like J-N-E-S-S. Um, which was sold as a women's empowerment program. And it was specific and it was what it means to be a woman. And they like, the thing is, I don't mean to be like, I would never fall for a call. I lived with a con man that I absolutely thought was my best friend. So like, I'm not trying to say shit about shit. Um, You accept the reality with which you were presented. I am, I think, very like aware that I would have been super susceptible to cults um, before one, having gone through an experience of kind of like, being indoctrinated by somebody into believing them in unbelievable circumstances. And also the amount of content I've consumed about them. I think I know every single red flag in the book. And also I don't believe in sunk cost fallacy anymore because I just think that that is the thing that damages people the most is not being able to give up when they realize they've made an oops. I'm very like, yep, that was an oops. Let's go again. Um, because I think otherwise it's really easy to fall into the trap of believing that um, you can't, Things can't change, basically. So anyway, Janessa is sold as a women's empowerment group. They say that it's like the first women's empowerment program that was made by a man. And they say some shit in this one. And apparently India Oxenberg's grandmother was there for the first meeting because they hosted it at her house. And she was like rolling her eyes in the back the entire time. And I was like, yeah, that lady gets it. Some of the shit they say, this is how I know, like, I would have left, is just, like, so anti-feminist that I I truly don't think I would have made it through the day. I don't care how much money I've paid you. I'm, <laughs> goodbye. So I do think that that was, like, the only moment of, like, judgment I had that I remembered. She was, like, 19 and super susceptible. And a lot of it is spun in a certain way to make it, like, well, women aren't victims because there's no such thing as a victim. Like, they took a lot of language away from women um, in order to make it harder for them to express themselves about eventually what Keith was doing to them. So, but, you know, they sell this as a women's empowerment program. So it's like really tragic because I do think that when you're thinking of it in that context, you must be like, well, this must be empowering because they're selling it to me as that. Like, I think that there is a lot going on there and people take these because they want to improve. And then it is easy to like make friends because you all have this common thing. And so Jeunesse was the way that they really brought India into the fold. The abuse in cults often starts the same way. It's the same thing in abusive relationships. Again, I just don't think we talk about like red flags and abusive stuff enough in society. And I've just like seen so many people in my life be in abusive relationships where like I didn't know how to help. They didn't know how to get out. And it it happened so young for a lot of people And, like, I saw this a lot, like, even with people I wasn't super close with in college where I was just like, I don't know how to help you. And I don't think we have a lot of great models of what a healthy relationship looks like. Like, even if people's parents have a healthy relationship, it just doesn't – it's not – we don't talk about it the right way. And so then there's a lot of, like, oh, I have to rescue my friends. Like, we don't have a lot of access to, like, here's what to do if your friend is in an abusive – because there's a line and you can't cross it and you can only help them in certain ways and – when people aren't ready to accept help, you can really isolate them further and they're going to try to cut you off and to beat their abuser, you have to like stay in, but also like you can't stay in past your own mental, like it just, it's so tricky. And so I just think that abuse has like a lot of the same symptoms. And one of them is that it forces you to cut off from friends and family um, because they don't understand or they won't believe. But I also think one of the things that they never really go into on cults, but I think a lot of it is the shame double down of like, I don't know how to tell my family that I believed in this or spent this amount of money. And so 
Um, Holly Madison writes about it in her book about the Playboy Mansion in a way that I was like, yeah, that really illustrates it, where she's like, well, I realized that I'm in an abusive relationship with Hugh Hefner. And so I am either an idiot or I'm actually very deeply in love. And she just couldn't admit to herself that she had been tricked or that and she felt stupid. And so that shame kept her trapped more than anything he did at that point. It was really this like double down of like, I don't know how to tell people what happened here. I don't know how to explain myself. And so if I stay, it's not wrong. And I think that that's what cults do. And I just I just want everybody to know that if you have been holding on to something or like a lot of shame about like expressing it and letting it be out there and not kill you, is really healing. I have tried to really like put down a lot of like the very silly, shameful stories that I used at night to like keep myself awake by telling people and then having them be like, yeah, that's not a big deal. Or like having my friends like reframe things for me. And I just think that like Brene Brown wanting to have a global conversation about shame is truly revolutionary because I do think that shame just like, (laughs) it's so oppressive. It's so scary. And it's so easy to fall into. And a lot of the stuff that they did in Nexium was shame-based. They would make you feel ashamed for thinking things or feeling that way or not being able to control yourself. There was a lot of control elements, especially around your emotions, your reactions to things. Um, they talked a lot about like how to be more sociable. And if you couldn't be, that was like a you problem. And there is a lot in both documentaries about this um, alleged cure of Tourette's that Nancy Salzman was able to come up with. And in The Vow, they talk about it like it's science. And in India's documentary, the guy calls the cap that they're wearing pseudoscience and says, like, all of this research is kind of bullshit. It was basically being done by this, like, mad scientist doctor who had joined. Um, but it did help some people. There was There are many success stories. They follow one of the girls who was a quote-unquote success story who had given up all of her tics in this thing, but she had been abused in order to do it. She felt very like it had given her a whole new host of problems and the scenes with her are really emotionally impactful because she says like yeah I don't do it anymore but like I'm broken in other ways and one of the guys who's the head his name is Mark as well but it's M-A-R-C um he like won't he still believes in Nexium. he you know even after the trials was like this has done good for people because he doesn't have Tourette's anymore because of Nancy Salzman like he credits her fully and her program and so he's like I can't give up the program so the program can't be bad because it has helped a lot of people like they follow one girl after her thing but they show many many and I'm sure there were people they didn't show and I'm sure that there's been other things that because neurolinguistic programming is helpful for some people and alternate therapy is absolutely sometimes what some people need. Like there should be as many alternatives to traditional therapy as possible if it suits and benefits people. The thing about a lot of alternative therapies is that they're not overseen. And so anybody can do them. And neurolinguistic programming is a really powerful tool. Like it is reprogramming your brain. And it really just then depends on the ethics of the person who you're speaking to. And Nancy Salzman didn't have good ethics. And it wasn't entirely her fault that she didn't have good ethics because she had been brainwashed by somebody. But she performed a lot of these things on people. Like, they have a lot in common with Scientology. So where Scientology has audits, they have EMs, which is, like, basically just breaking your reaction chain to something. This is also what they allegedly did in order to quote unquote, cure people of Tourette's, where they would go in and disconnect the the 
um, source of the stimulus. And so it sounds really, you know, like it sounds very surgical, but really she's just having people recall the experience that triggers them from beginning to end and then basically finding the source and then telling them, like, I've disconnected it. So it's it's very interesting. I do think it works on people, obviously, but I do think that, like, it so depends on the environment that it's happening in. It's the same thing with hypnosis. Like, hypnosis is very real, but you're trusting that fucking therapist an awful lot because you are in a very vulnerable state. So, anyway, just stuff to think about. I've been hypnotized. I think it's very effective. But I also, you know, um, was young and didn't have a lot of say in, like, who I was seeing and I only knew the woman for like 20 minutes before she had full access to my subconscious. So like, glad I got a recording of it. So yeah, next is just a ripoff, especially with the Scientology stuff. And if, you've, if you're not interested in Scientology at all, I do think that Scientology is one of the biggest hoaxes. I mean, I don't want to say all religions are hoax. That's a very inflammatory statement. But I am reading a book called Sapiens by this guy who basically is like, look, we used to have other stories. These are just the new made up stories, which I think is fine. I think spirituality has always existed. And it's interesting to see what forms it takes. I think it's fine if you want to believe in something bigger than us. I just don't know that it's this, you know, a dude named God who lives in the clouds. It used to be a guy named Zeus who lived in the clouds. It used to be, dra- you know, like there's just, it's it's fine. They're stories. They're good stories. I'm not saying they're bad stories. I'm not saying they're not good guiding principles. Although, <laughs> I don't know. The Catholic Church, hmm. I'll just be quiet now about that, but Scientology. Um, if you haven't seen anything, I would really recommend um, Leah Remini's series on Scientology. She goes and basically speaks to victims of Scientology about how much money they've spent, the way that their family was disconnected from them, all the brainwashing that they went through. And she does it with some very like high-ranking members of the church and also people who are just like regular degulars who went into like hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt and now like can't speak to their kids because they got their kids indoctrinated when they were young and it's really it's like it's a very emotional one but they also have really good episodes where they have panels about things so like Scientology is currently trying to infiltrate the nation of Islam um which is it's it's dastardly um and so it just it, they also have like a huge headquarters in Harlem and one time I walked out of the DMV cuz I um didn't have the right documents and so we had to go print new documents at the library and then I didn't print the documents in the right format so I still couldn't get my license that day uh but I we like walked by this giant Scientology building we were both like what the fuck why is this here it was so creepy Scientology is just like a real estate front but they also don't don't pay taxes because they bullied the IRS by just stalking a few of them for a few weeks um it's that easy to bully the U.S. government into making you a religion is call yourself a religion and then stalk them that's it. The FBI has raided them twice and found incredible breaches of human rights violations, and yet we do nothing about it. We know where these people are. The LAPD is on their payroll, where Shelley Miscavige is not, like, a joke. It's very real. This woman has not been seen in years, and the LAPD refuses to investigate it because they're on Scientology's payroll. Um, but yeah, Keith stole a lot from them. So he stole auditing, He's but he called it an EM, um, and... He stole suppressive. So in Scientology, if you're somebody who doesn't believe, they call you a suppressive person. You're supposed to disconnect from that. People, Keith called people who didn't believe in axioms, uh, tech, which he also stole from Scientology. All of these kind of like all of these cults that make a lot of money off of the people, they all have classes and seminars that are like long form. The other thing that cults do, and this is also something that where they intersect, is a lot of people make their entire lives around the cult so like 
in Scientology, there are communities where like a ton of people are Scientologists and like those people will end up working for other Scientologists because other Scientologists, like there's so much time dedicated to these things. And so you need a bunch of time off. And if you need to, like, there are so many things where I'm like, how does Scientology just tell you though, that you have to come in for like 12 hours a day for the next week? Then it's like, oh, because your boss is a Scientologist and you tell him you've been set, like sec checked. Um, And then he he gives you time off because like they know what that is. Um, and it's the same thing that Nexium did. Like a lot of people would be assistants for other people or like running around doing kind of odd jobs in Albany. So fucking weird that it happened in Albany. And so your entire ecosystem becomes a cult. So it's like you can't leave because that's your job. That's your town. Like even if you stay in the town, you probably don't have your own house. If you have roommates, they're in the cult. They're not going to be allowed to talk to you or they're going to make, you know, like there's just so much danger. One of the most horrific things that Keith did is he kept this girl locked in a room for two years. They make sure to emphasize a bunch of different times that the door was not actually locked and she could have left at any time. This girl had been brought to Albany by her parents and left by her parents there from Mexico. Nexium had her travel documents. They had her papers. She had been living with these people. She had been forced into a relationship with Keith when she was 18 years old and he had a countdown about it. And he was also abusing her younger sister who was a minor at the time. Like this is a very, very insidious thing that happened. And I think a lot of people are like, okay, but she could have left the room. And it's like, and gone where? She's in upstate New York with no license, no ability to get anywhere. Like she has the clothes on her back and no physical proof of who she is. Like, yes, she, what, go to the cops? Like, what are they going to do? Drive her to the consulate? Like, this is an international incident waiting to occur. And so like, yes, I'm sure she did. Just fucking, like, it it bothers me so much when people are like, well, I would have just left. And it's like, you can't. Sometimes you physically can't. Sometimes you don't have the money to leave. And so like, what do you do? Like a lot of a lot of the vow is about people who made a lot of money out of Nexium. Sarah and Mark were very high-ranking individuals who had a big fucking downline. And when you see them, they're living in like pretty normal-looking like so's Nancy Salzman. She's she's under house arrest, but it's in a pretty nice fucking house. And it's just this thing of like, yeah, these people made a lot of money. There were people like India who were not making money. And so what she was a coach for all those years and getting into debt. And then they would like have people work for them to pay off their classes. And one of the girls says like, I would work for them. I would pay off the class. I would even get a little bit ahead. And then they would be like, we just formed this new intensive $15,000 and she's back in the hole. And that kind of level of control, I think is really hard to imagine, but it's so real. Okay, let's get in. I started to get into to DOS a little bit, but let's so rewind back to Jeunesse, the women's group. So Jeunesse is the women's group. There is an equivocal men's group eventually called SOP, Society of Protectors. So there was um, eventually they brought Jeunesse and SOP together and had these like Jeunesse courses that were extremely like specific and weird about how men are linear thinkers and women are more organic and men need to have multiple sexual partners, but women can only handle one. And it was basically like enforced polyamory for the men. Like they would force men to like swing and swap partners and do things. And then like the women would just be like, I guess I have to be okay with it. Like it was, 
obviously there was more to it than that. I'm being very simplifying about it, but like that is the scary part. Um, and they also had these things where they eventually brought the women over to SOP and it was called SOP complete. And India talks about going through it and how abusive it was and just like it's self-inflicted misogyny. And there's stuff that Sarah talks about in one of the doc in one of the I think it's in the podcast where she talks about how Keith would just talk in these really misogynistic ways, but like in ways that made her start to see other women as like bad and dumb. And Keith would always say like, women are really oblivious. You'll notice it now if you go out into the world, see see how women like bump into things or miss. And so Sarah would walk around going like, oblivious women if she saw somebody like drop something at the bank. Um, and it just, it always, that always made me laugh. I've just been thinking about oblivious women for the last like three years. It's just like, yeah, people are oblivious sometimes. Men are just as oblivious, like what? Um, but that's, it's, it's easy. It's easy to get there. Um, so these courses started introducing a lot of the techniques that eventually were used to control women in the sex cult. This is a very long episode. Um, and one of those is readiness drills. So readiness drills were introduced in one of the SOP complete courses. And basically what they were is you'd get a group of people that you were assigned with. And this person at the head of the group would text the group ready. And they would have to text back ready within one minute. And if not all of the group completed that task. And these would come in at any time. So in the middle of the night, like whenever. So people would have their phones on and all the way up and be reacting to every single text. And it's such a manipulative thing because like you're thinking all the time about like, is the phone going to go off and am I going to be ready? And so it just keeps you on edge. And that's one of the ways that they brainwashed. Seduced is also better because they have fucking cult experts on there um, and culty programmers. And so they talk about how ready is actually such a specific word because it's a consent word. It's like, I'm ready for anything you throw my way. So if not everybody completed the drill, they had to do penance. And penance was um, introduced like in a couple other courses as well. But it was basically like if you don't do a thing, you have to do a physical punishment in some way in order to make up for, quote unquote, what you didn't do. So readiness drills, if you miss them, like the whole group would have to take a cold shower and then they would have to say like penance complete or like in early on. In like lower level courses before they really, really get you in the cult. Penance is like you have to give some money to a thing. Like it's it's a little bit lighter. And then in later ones, what made Catherine Oxenberg originally leave is that a woman was sleeping on the floor when her husband was sleeping on a bed and she was like, Oh, I'm doing penance, and she seemed very happy about it. And Catherine was like, I'm out. Good job, Catherine. Um, so readiness drills are just very like, don't think, just react. And again, to bring back Jim Jones, that's exactly how that massacre occurred is he um, he would have sleep deprivation is a really big part of it, too. So a lot of these courses, you wouldn't be getting enough sleep. You'd be yelled at all day. Jim Jones used to keep people awake all day and night in Jonestown. Like he would have like three days, basically psychotic episodes that he would rant at people through the mega like he had a speaker system installed. It was like one of the first things they put into Jonestown so that people could hear him all day and all night. He would blare these like sirens and he would do readiness drills with them because he was constantly like the U.S. government is going to come and try and take us away from here because people's families were very worried about them. That's what eventually led to the Jonestown like massacre is a U.S. representative from California went down out at family's request and then they murdered him on his plane. And then Jim Jones then went on the loudspeaker and, and forced everybody to um, do that. So uh, it's 
it's this don't think, just react thing. And he would like keep people awake for days on end and just rant about the end of the world. And it was very apocalyptic. And it's the same thing with like Heaven's Gate. Like, how do you get people to that point? You make the apocalypse part of your thing. Um, Keith was not interested in the apocalypse. He didn't want control in that way. What he wanted was control over women's bodies in particular. And so like men had this other thing. And I think it was honestly like he had men under his thumb in a different way. But I think a lot of it was like he was just able to like trick men pretty easily. Like the dudes who got that up that far up, like a lot of them, I think, felt very like, yeah, I deserve this. Um, I'm, I'm an SOP, I'm a society, I'm a protector. Like I'm supposed to be, you know, it's just uh, interviews with the dudes around this time are just like very, very different from the women because the women are being indoctrinated into like adoring and being obsessed with this one person. Like there's a ton of really gross footage, but Keith kissed everybody on the lips. And so one of the women talks about like, yeah, I thought it was very uncomfortable, but everybody else seemed so comfortable with it that I thought something was wrong with me. And I think that that's like a really good way of showing how like you can alter somebody's belief state just by everybody going along with something. So another thing that they introduced early in the courses that he escalated by the time it got to sex cult level was collateral. So People would say, if I don't complete this, this will happen. And uh, this is very Jim Jones again of like deeds to the house and things like that. Collateral. So the so under Jeunesse, there was then another thing called DOS, which is a Latin inscription. Basically, it translates to like master slave. There's a lot of master slave dynamics. It's very, very gross. Um, it's very... Uh, it, it's so icky. Like what I like, if you've been okay so far, like we're about to get into like the, uh, the sexual abuse and like the sex cult stuff. So like, just know that trigger warning again. So DOS is, there was the first layer of DOS masters uh, were women who were in Keith's inner circle. I think there was six, maybe eight of them originally. Um, Allison Mack is one of them. Lauren Saltzman, who is Nancy Saltzman's daughter, who you learn in The Vow, was in a very... Like, all of these women are in long-term relationships with Keith. They have all been told different things by him about who primary partner... Like, he's not using correct poly terms, but, like, in, ter- in terms of polyness, he's he's all of their only partners. They all have to be monogamous to him. With Lauren Saltzman in particular... Um, the Vow illustrates for uh, many, many episodes about how Keith specifically manipulated her. He knew her when she was very young because he and Nancy worked together for so long. But Lauren Saltzman, after she got back from college, was basically brought into the cult. And then he, for years, would say, like, I'll have a child with you. And then he would um, take backpack promise and then he would do it again. And so, like, they talk a lot in The Vow about, like, how he really stole her future from her. The vow doesn't balance this well, but they do do a good job of illustrating the harm that he inflicted on people. And then it does turn around and go like, and Lauren was the one who kept Daniela in the room for two years and inflicted most of the torture on her. So Lauren's not innocent by any means. Lauren was also uh, Sarah, the reason that Sarah Edmondson got into DOS. So Sarah has a lot of animosity towards her. You hear a voicemail that Sarah left, um, Nancy about like you're the worst mother in the world um and then by the end of it Sarah is writing the judge a letter basically being like please go easy on Lauren she didn't know what she was doing she was like very young when this all started happening to her so 
Same with India. India was like 19 when she got into the cult. So very malleable, doesn't even have a frontal lobe yet. Um, And basically, uh, Keith made his like six closest girlfriends go out and recruit slaves, which it's so icky. I don't want to use their terms, but like that's what they called them. Um, It was very specific. And these, they sold what, like, so Allison Mack was India's master. And the way that she describes being sold into it was like, I can't even tell you about this thing until you give me collateral. And it had to be a certain level of damaging collateral. And so it, what ended up being used for collateral most of all was naked pictures. And this happened in like several different ways, which is gross. But so basically they would make you give them collateral before they even told you because like then you basically can't back out at that point because like what are they going to do with whatever you've given them some people would write letters as if the the letter was supposed to be like released to the media about like family secrets or they would sign over the deed to their house or they would get on video and make up a bunch of lies about family members or friends um and so collateral in the lower levels is like, you know, pay money to this or like, you know, sign a letter saying that you'll run a mile if you don't do whatever. But it's it, it escalates very, very quickly. So it's sold as women mentoring women in a specialized and deep way. The the thing that I really think they emphasize about those relationships is like your level of discomfort is sold to you as a good thing. Feel uncomfortable and do it anyways. And like your growth is happening in those pain moments and so anything they felt uncomfortable with, they were like, okay, this is a growth moment. The The lie of DOS is that Keith was not involved. So like women, when they were first recruited, were told it's just women. It's a sorority. Um, it wasn't. Keith, the whole time, was at the very top. He was getting all of the naked pictures that all of the women were sending us collateral. All of it, You were instructed to lie and say Keith wasn't a part of it. So like none of them knew that he was. And then eventually... He would give um, their their master the the go ahead to make one of their missions to seduce him, and so it became this thing where like they think it's their idea and they're uncomfortable, but they have to do it anyways because that's where the growth is happening. And Keith is disgusting, and so like I don't want to go into details, but he basically tricked multiple women into thinking that like the they were he was raping women, but like in multiple um. In different capacities, and it's just really disturbing. Um, and a lot of them thought that it wasn't sexual, which is just so like it was sold to them as if like he didn't want to do it. So there's just a lot of like stuff going on there. But like what DOS was, was like just really hard. Like it's not because BDSM implies consent, but like a lot of what he wanted to do, I'm like, did this guy, I know that he's like, sick and getting off on like other like not just getting but like there are other parts to these dynamics that he's enjoying and like he's a master manipulator he enjoys having all the but like does he know that he could get this same exact thing in like a consensual way like does he is he aware that you can build bdsm dungeons and like also not be a cult leader you can just be like a normal person like it eventually they build like a dungeon and fill it with sex toys and it's it is just <laughs> one of the things about the documentaries that didn't make me laugh because it's like really serious in it. But like, you know, it's just oh, it was it. <sighs> so they submit a bunch of evidence and like they, they go through it as evidence in both the documentaries. And Nancy Salzman also has like a laughing fit about it. So it is kind of funny. 
but they're just like photos from extremerestraints.com, which is like a sex toy website. And like, yes, these are extreme sex toys. Like, yeah, like I, I'm sure that the first time you're like, oh my God, they bought cages for humans. And it's like, yeah, a lot of sex, a lot of, a lot of people use cages. Like it's not that, it's not that it's not extreme, but it's just like so not um, scandalous to me that somebody would get off on that. Like that is so... Like, that's not average in BDSM, but it's just like, yeah, like, I listen to the podcast Risk. I've heard a lot of stories about a lot of sex dungeons. <laughs> there are people who are professional doms who own those things, who are not sex abusers, who are actually, like, sex workers. Like, there, it's just, there's so much. Um, the way that they react to ExtremeRestraints.com just made me like, okay, but the, the website isn't the problem. Like, these products are not the problem. It's the fact that they're being used on non-consenting and truly not able to consent. Like, even if they say, yes, that is not consent, they are brainwashed, they are manipulated into this, like... They have collateral and you, once you got into DOS, you had to give monthly collateral sometimes like we, like they could just ask for it at any time. The whole idea is that you have to do whatever your master says, and this is supposed to teach you discipline. And it's like the way that they use discipline and all of these things. And eventually it just gets into like Keith liked women really thin. So he would put them on extremely restrictive diets and they would have to ask before they ate anything. Like basically all these women were given really, really severe eating disorders. Like I will say, if you are triggered by any eating disorder stuff, the vow or not the vow, um, India's documentary has like a huge section on it. I would skip it. It was fucking triggering for me. And that is not like those were not my issues. Um, and so it just like I was blown away by how much they really went into detail around the the diet aspect, but also like how insidious it is because she talks. She does illustrate it very well. This this theory that I've had for a long time about like women are kept so subservient through diet culture because it becomes all you can think about. You, you either are thinking about how hungry you are or how you shouldn't eat or how you should have eaten or what you could have eaten better. And it becomes all consuming. And like, because they had to ask before everything, she's like, I was hungry all day. I was tired. I was fatigued. Like, yeah, like women, I think, could take over the world if they weren't tired, hungry and cold all the time. Like, and they're tired and cold because they don't have good blood circulation. They're not sleeping well because they're not eating. Eating is so important. <laughs> oh, this is making me hungry. Um, not this, but specifically talking about eating. Um, I, Yeah. Um, losing weight was sold to them as a practice of character and self-restraint. That's just straight up ED bullshit. It's not true. Eating is not showing a lack of self-restraint. Um, and being fat has nothing or thin has nothing to do with your character. So gross, gross, gross. Um, she, celibacy was also sold to them as self-restraint and discipline and if you pushed back, it was very like everything I have you do is for your own good. Like they're using a lot of this stuff. And so like the celibacy of it all, like it, Keith was also sold as celibate to like when you're lower in the community, it's like, oh, Keith is celibate. Like he's above sex. He's moved on from that. Meanwhile, he's literally having sex with every single woman he can. Um, and there were so many people, though, who like I think it's important to say there are so many people who are in Nexium and even in Jeunesse, who did not know that there was a sex cult going on, who were not actively trying to enable a sex cult. They had no idea. They were not involved. There was one woman who was basically asked to give collateral and was like, bye. And then when she read about it months later, was like, oh my God, I was almost in that. Um, and so like, that's just very scary. 
so Doss eventually Doss is the most well-known thing because eventually they branded Keith's initials on many women and it's like really upsetting the details they go into are so upsetting a doctor did it um she was also a member of the cult it's really horrific so I don't want to go into like details but it just like that level of thinking you have the right to do that to another person and also like the lies. And there's a really illustrative moment when they're talking about it, where um, this is one of the recordings that India found of Keith and Allison um, talking about the brand in a way that like very much cement because his lawyers were trying to say like, he didn't know about it. It was just a thing that all the women were doing those crazy broads. He was basically talking about the brand, the ceremony around the brand, like the, the words they should say. And then he asks Allison, like, how do you feel about getting it? And she responds. And then he says, like, it's not about you. You make everything about yourself. And it's like your question to her was literally how does she feel about it? like what the fuck are you talking about? And that's the small, lower level, consistent abuse that's just like, oh, yeah, like no matter how much she victimized other people, like she was still an active victim and it just it's so it's so upsetting to see and like a lot of a lot of the footage of self-inflicted misogyny is like so incredibly difficult um because it's just like oh my god like all of these women had so much like talent and power and like strength together and they really were like determined to make the world a better place they thought that this was making the world or them better people in order to make the world a better place like india was brought out like sold on moving to albany by saying that Keith wanted to give her a company and would be mentoring her on, like, how to be a better business owner. So, like, she really wasn't going out there with the intent of anything except making the... And I think that that's the most tragic part about cults. So it's a slow build. You know, you don't... On day one, they're not looking at you and going, like, you want to get this dude's initials tattooed? They also didn't tell them it was his initials. They told them that it was, like, the elements... Not saying that that is a more normal thing to get a brand of, but like that's how brainwashed they were. And it took a long time. The vow, very upsettingly, but like I think it's like a good thing to show, does show some of the people who are still in Nexium who are like fighting for Keith to have a fair trial. They don't. I mean, like, I, I, I think they frame them as as um, I don't think they're being purposefully cruel in how they're framing them. I think these people are just impossible to put on camera in a non-off-putting way. <laughs> I couldn't say pudding way, but like um, there's two women who are in DOS who one of them is like, I will not reveal whether or not I've been branded, but it's nobody's business where it is on my body. Like she immediately reveals that she has been. But I understand being like, it's my body. You have no right to say it, to, to to ask me about it. But it's also like they're talking to you because you were involved in a sex cult that involved branding your body. So there's two women, one of whom is like another actress who is Canadian and could be deported at any time. And you literally see her be like, my lawyer told me not to do it, but I'm going to do it anyway. And then the next scene is her being like, my lawyer said he can't work with me. Like you'd see her get an email and she's like, my lawyer said he can't work with me because I've gone against too much of his advice. And she starts crying and being like, why is this happening to me? And it's like, because you were just gleefully talking about how you're not following any of his advice. And you're like embarrassing yourself and trying to like deliver affidavits to the prosecutor being like, this isn't a fair trial. I do think that the U.S. government probably did some like slightly shady stuff with how they introduced evidence that was not necessarily pertaining to the crimes that he was charged with but that doesn't mean he didn't do those things like I I get that they're like rule of law you wouldn't like it if that happened to you but it's like 
I understand that this is also the way that I was about to say a sentence that without context is the way that uh, prisoners' rights became a non-issue in this country. But like, that won't happen to me because I'm not going to head a sex cult. Um, I will not have a relationship with a minor. And so you will not be able to use text messages against me. You know what I mean? Like, it's one of those things where like, when YouTubers get caught in really bad scandals and they're like, look, it happens to everybody. And it's like, no, James Charles, it fucking doesn't. Um, so yeah, anyway, <laughs> due process in the law, but also like Keith Raniere is a, um, incredibly horrific human being. And I don't know what you do with him besides remove him from society because I don't think he's shown remorse. I do think there's like something going on upstairs and I also think that he spent years and years, like, manipulating people and brainwashing people. And, like, it must have worked on himself in some ways, too, because, like, that's his reality that he was living in. And he is an objectively cruel person. He's a manipulative person. I don't think it matters how he, like, there are so many people who have the exact same skill set that he does who do not do this with it. So, like, I do think that seeing just like, oh, it could happen to anybody. Like, no, I think like these men get addicted to power. As a lot of times the head of these cults are men, except in Heaven's Gate, it was a man and a woman. And when the woman died, that's when things got weird. Um, Not that it wasn't weird with her, but like things got exponentially weirder. All the stuff that we probably know, like that layman's know about Heaven's Gate, like really happened after she died. Yeah, I just think that like charismatic people and high control group stuff, if you ever have to go to a retreat, for a week and you notice that you're not sleeping for more than five hours every single night. I don't know. <laughs> don't go. <laughs> um, talk about the importance of sleep and non-sleep deprivation. If you go to a thing and they make you sob and cry for like three days straight <laughs> and you leave and go like, I have to tell everybody in my life about going to this. No, don't tell everybody. I don't know, the red flag. Uh, <laughs> not saying that all things are bad. I just think that like high control groups there's a thin, thin, thin line, and not all of them have the outcome of sex cult, um, but a lot of them have the outcome of wanting you to spend as much money as possible and bring people back. Well, now that I've said all this stuff about um, DOS, <laughs> like how terrible Keith was, and also just like, it's really hard, I think, to hold true that people can be both abused and abusers at the same time. Not mutual abuse. That's not what I'm saying happened. These women were not abusing Keith in return. They were abusing people below them, underneath, like people who they had specifically structured to be seen as beneath them, quote unquote. Um, And I think that that is just a really important thing to like, reconcile or not be it or be aware of how hard it is to reconcile because I do think that often people who are in really abusive situations do deserve a lot of grace and ultimately just like a lot of forgiveness for what they do but it's really hard when you hear about the horrific stuff to not be like how do you do that and it's like well they're not in their right mind like if you believe they're not in the right mind you have to believe that all the time it doesn't excuse everything It doesn't excuse most things, but it does provide reason. And like, I think we just have to, I think there is like a very generous story that we can tell about most people. I'm going to say that. Um, I don't know that there's a generous story to be told about Keith because he was very disturbed from like a young age. I don't, I I don't want to like get into the ethics of like, you know, like, no, like he, he abused 
Keith Ranieri abused minors even before he was in Nexium. This is a very deeply sick individual. I don't know if he has something in his brain that is not wired the way that the rest of us are who are not attracted. I don't know the specifics. I'm not going to get into them. I I do think he is a danger to society when he is allowed to operate because he tried to create multiple scams and he was able to create a very like toxic environment for thousands of people. And so like, but I do think with Nancy Salzman, she really did want to make a difference. And by the time she was doing the scamming level stuff, she was doubling down. She was emotionally broken. She was Keith's first victim. And so she just never thought she was good enough. And she goes into like how when she was a kid, like it's very, it's heartbreaking. Um, and then she got her own daughters involved in it. And so it's this thing where like, I don't think she meant to fuck her daughter's lives over so irrevocably hard like she cries when she hears about her daughter you know she says like my daughter wasted her childbearing years like she can't have a natural child like the thing is like women can have children at any age basically now but like it is it's horrific to see her as a mom react to that and it's like yes like you also did this to other people's daughters Um, and I get that things hit harder when, when they personally affect you and stuff, but I think that it's like, those things are both true for her at once that like, she feels deep, deep regret about what she did. And she was also the person who did it. And she, she is able to connect much more closely to the pain that she feels when it's about her daughter than when it is about other people's. She knew about it. Like she was involved in the racketeering. She was involved in the surveillance. And no matter how it's like, well, Keith made me. Yes, but you still did the action. And it's like we can look at the action you did because you were being abused and kind of like then it becomes this weird. Like, I think that this is what cult documentaries don't quite know what to do. And I think that's why the vow is just kind of like, here, you decide is like, how much is it your personal responsibility? And is it just that you have to ask for forgiveness and then show that you're not going to do it again? Like with Nancy Salzman, like there's a therapist at the end of the vow who's basically like, no, but Nancy, you did develop the curriculum he used. And she's like, yeah, but I didn't use it the way he did. And it's like, it doesn't really matter because you gave him the tools. Like without her, there wouldn't have been a successful ESP program to pitch to people. Because I do think the first level, there's probably some stuff in there that people used because it's based on real NLP stuff. So, you know, how much one individual is to blame who is not the person at the top? Like, Nancy says she didn't know about DOS. And it's like, I kind of believe you, but I kind of don't. I think denial is a very sincere state that a lot of people are living their lives in. Not just people in cults. A lot of people think life is really hard. And when you have the chance to just not think about stuff, that's really appealing yeah, I think, okay, let's, um, to wrap this up, just like a quick rundown of Seduced versus The Vow and why it matters who's telling the story. Like I said, Seduced is really good. Um, it's really horrific. There was some experiments run by this like mad scientist doctor level that like truly all the cult experts, like I watch a lot of cult documentaries, so I've seen a lot of these people. There's not many people who are expert deprogrammers and like we're in the Moonies and like all this. Like there's just like so many. Seduced is way better. It has actual cult experts on it and it goes much more in depth into the horrific stuff that happened within the programs outside of DOS. And it doesn't just sensationalize like one part of the cult. It really talks about how it affected so many people. Um, 
the the cult experts are truly like shaken by some of the stuff they have to talk about in terms of Nexium and in terms of some of those like human experiments that they were basically conducting about like disconnecting people's brains. There's a lot of like very, very triggering stuff in Seduced where Keith talks about like what rape actually is and how abuse is an abuse. It's the people who call abusers abusive that are abusing them. Like it's very like twisted and gross and like very hard to watch. But it really surprised me to see how affected all of the cult experts were by this because they do say like this is a this is a uniquely horrific cult because of basically the amalgamation of all the other cult stuff that he was doing. Like Scientology is also horrifically abusive and there is sex abuse going on within Scientology that is known and not done anything about because nobody does anything about Scientology because they have everybody in their fucking pockets. It's wild to see people who talk about horrific things be horrified by something. Um, And I think it just really does emphasize like how terrible this cult was. There is um, just a lot more detail um, they also talk about how in both of these documentaries, they really talk about how Me Too, the Me Too movement, did open up the door for the Nexium story because suddenly people were interested in the suffering of women. I don't know that we've done anything about it, but I think we were briefly interested in acknowledging that it was real and happened um, until, you know, until it comes after such beloved actors as Brad fucking Pitt. We can give up Brad Pitt. It's fine. It's fine. Um, he's an abusive asshole. He abused his wife on a plane in front of their kids. He attacked two of the kids. Like he, (laughs) I don't care how he and Angelina got together. I don't care how vilified she's going to be because again, oh no, it's another bisexual woman accusing her male fucking partner of violence as if bisexual women are not the most at risk for interpartner violence. Um, anyway, it's all biphobic. It, it, it like it, the three most high profile cases I think in the last few months that have come out that are um, abusive men being litigious as an abuse tactic, which is what Brad Pitt is currently doing to Angelina Jolie. None of this would have been unsealed if he had just been fucking chill about her selling stuff. But he's trying to do this control her. Johnny Depp and Amber Heard and Marilyn Manson and Evan Rachel Wood. All three women in the that in these in this situation are bisexual, and I just think that that shouldn't be erased from the narrative and conversation around what is happening to them and how it's very specific um, in terms of their sexuality and um, the misunderstandings about bisexual. Like it, it it's it's also because they're women. I'm not saying that it's not, but I just think that that's an angle that often gets dropped, and I just want to point it out. Anyway, the vow is made by people who were very high up in the group who have a lot of interest I think in restoring their own personal image and it's very it's just a lot more navel gazy like by the end of season one I was truly like what are you trying to tell me they also don't go into the nitty-gritty so I think they do a really poor job of setting up like what the cult actually they talk about Vanguard week and they talk about the retreats but like not exactly what was happening in them or like how much money they were spending but also how much money they were getting other people to spend like India multiple times said she wouldn't have signed up for a thing if she wasn't guilted by Mark Vicente and then it's like yeah in his documentary he never fucking talks about how much money or how many people he like and I get that like he feels guilty about like I'm not saying he should constantly be making penance for this but like it does really help reframe all of the mis information from the vow when you watch seduced and you're like oh that's why they didn't want to talk about it 
Um, when Sarah left the cult, she did unenroll every single person she had enrolled and made money off of and refunded them a bunch of money, which is what they tried to like criminally prosecute her for because she owned a recruitment center in Toronto. Like that's how high these people are in the inner circle. Sarah was eventually brought into DOS and that's why she left. Mark Vicente's wife was approached to be in DOS and that's why she left. And then it took him a few months to follow. I think The Vow Season 2 is very different from The Vow Season 1. And it is a really interesting study on, like, tone um, narrator bias. Because, like, as soon as Nancy starts being the narrator, you really have, like, a completely different outlook on her. And I think it's really easy to get swept up in her narrative and be like, oh, yeah, she really didn't do any. Like, it's, like, I did not, that's dramatic. Like, I didn't have any, like, um... Oh, Nancy Salzman is just a victim and didn't perpetrate any harm. But it is really um, wild just to to feel the range of emotions that season two made me feel about this one woman in particular and her role in it and how culpable she is. I don't think that it did a great job explaining her crimes and what she actually got charged for. They never talk about what the racketeering charges were. They never talk about how much money that Nancy had stashed in her basement when she was arrested. Like, they don't talk about, like, the hacking and, like, the cyber crimes that were going on. So you get a very incomplete picture, I would say, through the vow. But it is an interesting character study, particularly in the second one, because it's not about the people filming it. Because in the first one, they're all filming themselves all the time. And it's just, it, it becomes, like, too long and meandering. So I do think season two of the vow is better and worth watching. But also, I would have I don't know maybe this amount of information before you go in (laughs) but like I would definitely uh I would not have gotten as much out of it if I hadn't seen the other stuff so um if you're gonna watch one thing I would watch Seduced and The Vow is I think a very interesting documentary um honestly I think this cult is has ended in a way like I don't think there will be people who take Keith's program like there's that one guy who really cares about like the Tourette's program not shutting down, but I think that like he's going to have to rebrand it or find a new person to get on board with it. I also don't believe that it wasn't abusive in and of itself based on the girl's testimony who went through it. So um, I don't think that Nexium is going to like come back. Keith is um, has been put in prison for the rest of his natural life and the people who were around him and supported him. Like Nancy got four years in jail um, and her daughter got a commuted sentence. Like she got time served and parole for like five years. So not a lot of people underneath him went to jail. They were going to prosecute them as like a crime family, basically, um, because that's what it was. And also New York knows how to prosecute crime families. And then Nancy found out about Doss and I think her daughter being involved with Keith. And that was the first domino to fall. And so she pled guilty to one of her charges, whereas Keith um, said he was innocent of everything. So that's why he got such a different sentence from the rest of them. Yeah, I think like it, this is weird to be like, Nancy makes a good point. But at the end of the vow, she has like a monologue about um, how little compromises that we make can bring us to a an edge of our own world very quickly. And it doesn't take many decisions to really escalate yourself into a corner. And I've been talking a lot recently with just like friends and stuff about breakups and when they happen and and why they're good. And I think we need to reframe the breakup as something like very positive 
Um, the way that they happen isn't always positive, but I do think it's good when two people can acknowledge that they were the relationship no longer served them. And the truth about relationships is as soon as it no longer serves one person, it no longer serves the either person the other person either. As soon as a relationship doesn't serve one person, it doesn't serve anyone. Because you can't you can't make up for an entire person lacking wanting to be there. It does it doesn't work that way. But I think like what really kills a lot of relationships is resentment. So the leading to the breakup or like not knowing what to do. And I think, you know, it's it's pretty like out there to be like, you should bring your partner in. But the minute you kind of go like, I don't know, I can't talk to this person who I'm supposed to be able to talk to about most things in my life. I don't think you have to talk to everything, but like, you know, especially when it involves them being like, hey, I'm feeling some winds change. How do we want to navigate this? That's like so unfathomable to me. And I just don't think it should be. Um, because I think as soon as you're like, I don't know how to tell them, the decision's already made. So, uh, But I do think little compromises and little things that we do to make ourselves quieter or um, kind of be like, well, I'm not okay with that, but I guess I will be for now or I don't want to say anything. Like those really do add up and like crush our souls. And I think that this is when like everything is capitalism. It's like a lot of us have to make those decisions at jobs. And I think that that really does put us on like a weird moral path where everything's relative. Like I wake up every day and use an iPhone. I know that iPhones are not made in great working conditions. I think that should be regulated. I don't think it's like my job to regulate American companies. I think that's actually a major part of what our government used to care about doing before Republicans made regulations uncool because George Bush was like, no, snowmobile makers, you can totally put engines in that are the equivalent when they run for 10 minutes of greenhouse carbon emissions as a pickup truck going to Alaska, which is also the fucking engines that are in leaf blowers. My cats are crying, so I feel like I definitely need to wrap this up. This has been an hour and a half of me talking. I feel so lightheaded. Um, But anyway, don't make small compromises because they add up very quickly and live in your truth, even if it's uncomfortable. And if you share it with other people, they'll probably meet you there because a lot of people don't actually leave people hanging. We're just very afraid to communicate honestly with other people because of the risks involved. So I get why it's risky, but be brave and do it anyway. Don't, 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 don't join a cult. Um, if there's anything that this episode has taught you, it's like, be very wary of, um, high mind control or high control groups. And, um, if you smell brainwashing, run, um, and don't look back and don't take a job under, um, if you know, if you're in a group and you feel like you want to spend even more time there, get a job outside of it so that your income is not tied to the group as well, because that's, um, usually when the descent really picks up speed. So, uh, that's all. Um, don't follow me on Twitter because that's a garbage pile. Um, but if you, um, care to follow me on the internet, the only place I still really am is a uh, Tumblr. So that's <laughs> little corner in Brooklyn.tumblr.com. All right, everybody. Hope you enjoyed this. Feel free to leave me a comment on Substack if you want to. And that's where you're listening to this. Um, otherwise I will catch you next week. Bye. Thank <laughs> you.